The House comes to oral questions. Question number one, in the name of the Honourable James Shaw. Thank you, Mr Speaker, and may I congratulate the new Prime Minister uh, and welcome him to his first question time as Prime Minister. Uh, my question is to the Prime Minister, does he stand by his statement that climate is a bread and butter issue for his government, and if so, will he issue... Uh, will he ensure that adapting to extreme weather and cutting pollution are both central to the government response to Cyclone Gabrielle? The Right Honourable Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, yes and yes. There is nothing more basic or critical for a government than lifting the country back up after a major disaster and working to ensure we're prepared for a world in which these events are more frequent and more severe. The need for greater resilience and adaptation to climate change will be embedded in our response. I recognise that uh, when major emergencies have occurred in the past, governments have kicked climate action down the road while they deal with the current crisis. And if so, does he commit to taking a new approach in response to Cyclone Gabrielle? Uh, Mr Speaker, I'm, I'm not going to provide a, a running commentary on the actions of previous governments, uh, but what I will say, well, except, except when I want to, uh, but, but, but what I will say, uh, Mr Speaker, is that uh, great, the need to adapt to climate change will absolutely be embedded in our response this time around. What immediate actions will he take to ensure that building resilience and adapting to more frequent and extreme weather events is at the heart of the recovery to Cyclone Gabrielle? Uh, Mr Speaker, there is no question that it needs to be. Uh, we, we absolutely have to make sure uh, that building greater resilience and, adapt, and, and adaptation to climate change is at the heart of our response. What actions is the government taking to tackle hardship amongst the most affected communities on the east and northern coasts of the North Island? And will he ensure that people in Aotearoa have the support that they need to deal with future climate-related disasters? Uh, Mr Speaker, in answer to the first part of the question, the most immediate support we can provide for people is to, to help them deal with the needs immediately in front of them right now, which is the need to make sure that they have a roof over their head, the need to make sure that they have money to pay for the basic necessities that they need at the moment. And there is a lot of government effort going into supporting that. As we move beyond the emergency response, as we rebuild and provide more stability for people and for businesses and for others, we'll need to make sure that we do that in a way that's setting people up for the future rather than just setting them up to repeat the cycle again the next time a major event like this happens. In, uh, as part of his uh, uh, previous answer, uh, he said that uh, adapting to the effects of climate change would be part of the response to Cyclone Gabrielle, and would he agree uh, that we actually need to fix the uh, hole in the roof while we're bailing out water from our homes? Mr Speaker, I absolutely believe that we need to do both. We need to continue to tackle the causes of climate change, and we need to make sure that we are adapting uh, to a world in which more extreme weather events are likely to be more uh, frequent uh, and more severe. Um, I don't think that we should allow this debate to be framed as an either-or. It has to be both. Well, we come to question two in the name of Rachel Brooking. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My question is to the Minister of Finance. What will be the economic impact of the recent extreme weather events and how is the government responding to those events? Mr Speaker. Uh, the Honourable Grant. Mr. Speaker, I would first like to acknowledge the impact of the recent extreme weather events on those affected, particularly those who have lost loved ones, their homes and their livelihoods. I'd also like to recognise the exceptional efforts of all those who have responded within our communities and supported one another in this tragic and upsetting time. The Government is committed to working with local communities so that affected families, farmers, business people and others are back on their feet and regions are back moving.
This has been a significant event and it is still early days to be able to put a specific figure around the economic and fiscal impact of these disasters. But we do know that it will be considerable and we do know that the bill the Government will need to meet will be in the billions of dollars. The Government has taken action quickly to provide certainty and assurance in these early stages of the response. A little over $352 million of additional support has been provided for. We know that significant further resources will be needed to support New Zealanders through the response, recovery and rebuild phases. What support is the Government providing to the primary sector in response to the cyclone and flooding? Mr Speaker, uh, we have announced uh, an initial package of $25 million to go with the earlier $4 million announced for the primary sector. Of this $25 million in grants, part of it will support pastoral farmers and growers. This will mean that they will be eligible for up to $10,000 worth of support to help initial on-farm recovery, such as repairs to water infrastructure for stock and fencing. Grants for growers of $2,000 per hectare up to $40,000 will be available to do, among other things, removing silt and debris from orchards, supporting cleanup and minimising future losses. Application for this $25 million fund begins today. What other action is the government taking in response to the recent extreme weather events? Mr Speaker, it is worth noting that today represents the 12th anniversary of the uh, February the 22nd earthquake in Christchurch. There is a lot to learn from those circumstances, and we think of those people today on the anniversary. One thing in particular to learn from that period of time is the importance of locally-led responses. We are driving forward our response based on the needs of those in communities. The Prime Minister has appointed regional lead ministers to work with every affected community to ensure that what we do meets the needs that are on the ground. Alongside this, a task force has been established to be led by Sir Brian Roach that will ensure that all parts of the private sector, community sector and those involved in specific industries who will be key to the recovery and rebuild are at the table, their voices are being heard and they can interact with the government and local government and iwi in whatever way is necessary. Mr Speaker, we will need to be nimble and adaptable, but there are plenty of lessons for us to draw on. How well placed is New Zealand to deal with the consequences of the extreme weather events? Mr Speaker, the extreme weather events will have an impact on this year's budget and those in following years, and it may mean changes to the government's economic and fiscal approach as outlined in the budget policy statement. We are taking the time now to work through all of those decisions. No final decisions on those matters have been made at this point, but we will be actively considering how we meet additional costs, how we may prioritise what we're doing and planning to meet any needs that are identified. If further resources are required, we are in a good position to manage that. The Government has been resilient in a challenging global environment. Our debt levels sit at just over 21 per cent of GDP well below our debt ceiling and among the lowest in the OECD. We are well positioned to handle the impact of the recent extreme weather and any future economic shocks. Uh, question number three, Christopher Lipson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My question is to the Prime Minister and reads, does he stand by all of his government's statements and actions? Are the right honourable Prime Minister? Mr Speaker, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what impact has increased government spending of a billion dollars per week had on the cost of living? 
Uh, Mr Speaker, economists, of course, will argue uh, about this at great length. Um, but the, the, the reality is we have supported New Zealanders through a difficult set of economic circumstances. And I've yet to hear a single proposal from the National Party about what they would not be spending money on. <laughs> Do, does, he, does he agree increasing government spending actually contributes to inflation? Depends on the nature of the spending. <laughs> Does he stand by State Services Minister Chris Hipkins' commitment in 2018 to reduce spending on consultants? Speaking, yes. <laughs> Can he confirm that spending on consultants has blown out to more than $1.7 billion a year? Uh, Mr Speaker, that's a partly a reflection of the COVID-19 response where a, number, a lot of contracted workforces were used. It's also, it's also a reflection of the fact that the government's doing a lot more in the areas which are dominated by contractors and consultant spending, like capital investment, something the last government woefully underinvested in, which is why we had classrooms that were falling down, hospitals with excrement in the walls, and roads that were full of potholes. We're dealing with that. The last government didn't. Potholes? Does he think taxpayers got good value for money from the $53 million spent on consultants for light rail, the $51 million spent on consultants for the failed cycle bridge, or the $6,000 per week per consultant working on a TVNZ-RNZ merger? Uh, Mr Speaker, with regard to light rail, we have to recognise that this is a significant once-in-a-generation investment for Auckland. We have, to get, we have to get serious about the fact that Auckland needs a first-world public infrastructure, public transport infrastructure, the National Party clearly don't seem to want that. Is $30 billion on light rail really the right thing to be spending money on right here, right now? Oh, well, Mr Speaker, it's a multi-generational investment. Look at every other major city around the world. They invest in their public, and for, uh, public transport infrastructure. And yes, it happens over decades. In the UK, where the member has previously lived, they're still building their underground rail network hundreds, uh, over 100 years after they started it. Does he think someone on the average wage is paying too much tax when their income has grown less than inflation for the last two and a half years? Uh, Mr Speaker, I'm not going to make announcements on tax today. Can the Prime Minister just answer, does he agree that someone on the average wage is paying too much tax or not? Uh, Mr Speaker, what the government will not be doing is cutting taxes for the highest income earners, which is the National Party's policy. Not the, not the policy. Isn't it the case that the Prime Minister has changed, that it's the same old Labour, addicted to spending, and just can't get anything done? Oh, Mr. Mr Speaker, the member keeps going on about wanting to get things done. He doesn't seem to have too many ideas about what it is that he actually wants to get done. Uh, question number four in the name of Angie Warren-Clark. Koe, Mr Speaker. My question is to the Minister of Social Development and Employment and asks, what announcements has she made to support NGOs and those impacted by the floods and cyclone Gabrielle? Mr uh, Speaker. The Honourable Carmel Sipaloni. Mr Speaker, last week I announced an initial 11.5 million community support package to help NGOs and the community sector respond to the adverse weather events. The package consists of four million for providers to ensure they can meet increased demand and support well-being of their staff and volunteers due to flooding and cyclone, one million to replenish stocks at food banks currently experiencing high demand, two million of grants for community groups to support flood response, four million expansion of the scope of community connectors to support Auckland and impacted regions flood response efforts, and 500,000 ring-fenced funding to respond to the needs of disabled people. 
Mr Speaker, as the Prime Minister and the Minister of Finance have stated, the government's support for flood-affected communities will be ongoing, and this initial package of support will help our NGOs get through the immediate response. Supplementary. How much money has been allocated from the package thus far? Mr Speaker, MSD began communicating with NGOs and community organisations on the package last week and started taking applications on Friday. As of 9am Tuesday, the 21st of February, 2.27 million had been committed to NGOs through this package. MSD are working hard to progress, uh, process applications as quickly as possible, and I anticipate more money will be in the hands of NGOs and community organisations by the end of this week. The package has come as welcome relief to many, and I ask any NGOs who need support to contact MSD to see if they qualify for support. I'd like to thank all of the NGOs and community volunteers who have stood up and served their communities so well in these very difficult times. What support has been provided to individuals who need help following these weather events? Mr Speaker, as a national state of emergency is in effect, civil defence payments are available for people in the affected regions. The civil defence payments are not income or asset tested. They are for people who need immediate and essential support for items such as food, clothing and bedding. So far there has been 36.599 million paid out to over 72,000 people in need. Yesterday, 3.7 million was paid out to 8,067 people. This included 1.7 million paid out in support to people in Hawke's Bay and 585,000 to people in Gisborne. Why is the support to NGOs and individuals so important? Mr Speaker, there are many NGOs and community organisations and iwi organisations who have sprung into action to serve their communities. I've witnessed this firsthand in Auckland with organisations at the beginning of the weather events using their own resources and initiative to support the community. This funding will help them replenish their resources and prepare them for the upcoming support that will be required by whānau affected by these events. Likewise, the civil defence payments are able to help individuals in whānau with their immediate costs. Many have lost homes, possessions and livelihoods, and these payments are there to be accessed in their time of need. As the Minister for Finance has stated, this is just the beginning of our response. As we move into recovery, we will assess whether, what other support may be needed. Question number five, David Seymour. Uh, well, thank you, uh, Mr Speaker, and may I acknowledge the people of the Canterbury region on this 12th anniversary of a terrible tragedy. Uh, my question is to the Prime Minister and reads, does he stand by all his government's statements and actions? Are the right honourable Prime Minister? Yes. Supplementary. How much tax is his government forecast to collect this year, and how much more tax is that compared with the $86 billion collected in the last year pre-COVID? Oh, Mr Speaker, if the member wants that specific information, he'll find that in the budget documents. Supplementary. Does the Prime Minister not know? Mr Speaker, I haven't memorised the entire budget, no. Wouldn't it be important to understand that his government is taxing $118 billion off New Zealanders, $32 billion per year more than just four years ago? Mr Speaker, I, think I welcome the opportunity to set out for the member that our government is actually taking less tax out of the economy than, as a proportion of the economy than when we became the government. Which option does the Prime Minister prefer most for funding the recovery from the cyclones? Tax people more now 
borrow now and tax later, or reprioritise current spending? Mr Speaker, I think those kind of debates are premature because we don't yet know what the true extent of the damage is or the true cost of the damage is. Uh, responsible governments make sure that they consider all of the options around how to pay for a natural disaster such as this, as the previous government did after the Canterbury earthquakes. They, they canvassed a range of options before deciding how to pay for it. That is what responsible governments do. Supplementary. Is the Prime Minister aware that when his government came to office, government expenditure was 27% of GDP? It's now 35 and if tax as a percentage of GDP has reduced, then the government must have increased the deficit by more than 8% of GDP? How does any of that add up? Uh, Mr Speaker, it got up to about 34% under National and it's currently lower than it was under the peak uh, of, the, of spending uh, during National's time in government after the global financial crisis. Does the Prime Minister accept that government spending, especially deficit government spending, puts pressure on interest rates, meaning people's mortgages cost more than they otherwise would? Mr Speaker, one of the reasons I'm really proud of the financial track record of this government is that uh, prior to this most recent series of events, which of course will change things, we were on track to get back into surplus faster than the last government did after the global financial crisis. I note that the member and his party voted for every single budget during their term in government. Um, question number six, Nicola Willis. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My question is to the Minister of Finance and asks, does he think New Zealanders suffering a cost-of-living crisis should pay more tax? And why won't he rule out introducing a new tax to help pay for the Cyclone Gabrielle cleanup? Uh, the Honourable Grant Robertson. Mr Speaker, I acknowledge that low- and middle-income New Zealanders are doing it tough right now with cost-of-living pressures, and that's why the government has put in place a range of support for them to be able to help meet the cost of living. No decisions have been taken to change any tax settings further than what the government has already done. I do think that New Zealanders in this position should continue to be supported by the government through this time. In light of the fact that we have had just the third ever national state of emergency declared in New Zealand's history and that many people's homes, livelihoods, businesses and, and lives have been devastated, it is the responsible thing to do to take the time to consider the options for how we will pay for the government's share of the recovery. Why is the Minister's first port of call to fund the rebuild another new tax and not dumping pet political projects like the $30 billion light rail commitment? Mr Speaker, in answer to the first part of the member's question, it's not. In answer to the second part of the question, as discussed at the Finance and Expenditure Committee earlier today, there are a range of options for how to finance the future contribution that the government will need to make. The responsible thing for a government to do is be able to work through those options while we work out just how big the bill will be. Or does he stand by his commitment in 2021 that, quote, Labor's policy was clear that we would not introduce any new taxes? Mr Speaker, as I said in my earlier answer, no decisions have been taken to do anything other than the tax policy that the government has. However, what responsible governments do in this situation is assess options. For instance, Bill English on the 4th of March 2011 received a report entitled Funding the Earthquake Recovery, Levies and Other Potential Funding Options, which begins, this report responds to your request for advice 
advice on options for funding the earthquake recovery, including a dedicated earthquake levy, Mr Speaker. It's a pity the member doesn't share the responsible approach of her former boss. Isn't it an indictment on the Minister's economic management that faced with a rebuild following a natural disaster, you won't rule out smashing Kiwis with a new tax, something the previous government did not do following the Canterbury or Kaikoura earthquakes. Mr Speaker, as I note, on the 4th of March, just a week or two after the Canterbury earthquakes, the then Finance Minister, Bill English, got advice on whether or not there should be a levy. As I have already stated today, we have not taken decisions. We are in exactly the same position of assessing the scale and working out how the government will pay for it. It is what a responsible government would do. It's what Bill English would do. Clearly the members not in that category. How can he possibly justify speculating about new taxes when New Zealanders up and down the country are feeling anxious and squeezed by a prolonged cost of living crisis, which today has seen interest rates rise yet again for the 10th time in 18 months. Mr Speaker, as I said in my primary answer, I am acutely aware of the cost of living pressures that are facing particularly low and middle income households. That is the reason why this government has stepped up time and time again to support those people through increases to the family tax credit, through the cost of living payment, to the increases we've made to main benefits, to the winter energy payment. Every single one of those opposed by the National Party. How much higher does he think New Zealanders' mortgage rates might climb following today's lift in the official cash rate? And does he agree that this is not the time to impose yet another new tax on an already fragile economy? Speaker, what I think this is the time for is for the government to work through the full costs of a significant natural disaster that has impacted many regions of New Zealand. What I think is that, as Bill English did, we should assess all of the options that are in front of us. Mr Speaker, there are people out there today who are cleaning away the silt out of their houses and out of their businesses. They want to know that New Zealanders have a government that takes that seriously, doesn't turn it into a cheap political point scoring, but actually assesses the options in front of us. Has he been advised how many New Zealanders will move from a mortgage with a 2 or 3% interest rate to a mortgage with a 6 or 7% interest rate uh, over the next six months? And is it really his position that in this environment they should be braving a tax hike as well? Mr Speaker, in answer to the second part of that question, I repeat all of the answers that I have given. No decisions have been taken on that. But just as a previous government, of which the member was very close to, assessed their options, we are assessing our options. Our balance sheet is strong. We have the ability to use the fiscal headroom. We will look at reprioritisation and we will assess other options. It would be irresponsible to do otherwise. And I can't understand why the member is so committed to trashing Bill English's legacy. Why won't the minister just rule it out? And isn't the case that instead of smashing Kiwis with a new tax, he could comfortably repay 
the rebuild of the East Coast if the government simply scrapped their own political pet projects like Auckland Light Rail. Mr Speaker, um, I don't know how the member knows what the cost of rebuilding the east coast of the North Island, the Hawke's Bay, Northland, Coromandel, Auckland, the Wairarapa and the Tararua regions and all those affected are. That is the very work that is underway right now. What we've done is stepped up with more than $350 million immediately to support that. There will be more support, Mr Speaker, and we'll take the responsible approach of working out how best to pay for that, as previous governments have done. More taxes on the way. Uh, order. Question number seven, Shannon Talbot. Question to the Minister of Transport. What reports has he, he received about progress on repair, repairing transport network following the recent extreme weather events? Uh, the Honourable Michael Ward. Uh, Mr Speaker, I'm receiving regular reports about the state of our transport network in the wake of the devastating flooding and Cyclone Gabrielle. I'm advised that key routes in most affected regions, including critical parts of State Highway 2 in Napier and Tairawhiti and critical freight routes in Northland, are now open once again. However, the damage to our road and rail networks is substantial in a number of sections of State Highway 2 and 5, as well as the Brindurwins on State Highway 1 remain closed. As at 21 February, there are fewer than 10 sections of State Highway with full or partial closures. We know there's a long road ahead of us to repair our transport network, and the Government is committed to supporting communities through this, which is why we've announced $250 million of support for the NLTF to fund urgent repairs and maintenance in the coming weeks. I want to put on record and thank all of the roading crews from Wakakotahi contractors all around the country who have done an incredible job over the past couple of weeks to reconnect communities and supply chains. What reports has he received about repairs underway on transport networks in Te Tairawhiti? Uh, Mr Speaker, the situation is a dynamic one in uh, Tairawhiti. Um, I, prior to question time, I was advised that State Highway 2 from Apotiki to Gisborne, as well as Gisborne to Wairua, uh, were both now open to the public. However, as of 1.50, a major slip has once again closed State Highway 2 between Apotiki and Gisborne, which goes to demonstrate uh, the ongoing challenging situation uh, that our roading contractors are facing. Preparations are underway for a 90 metre long Bailey Bridge to be installed on State Highway 35 near Tokamaru Bay to replace the severely damaged Hikawai Bridge. I'm advised that of yesterday around 50 local roads remain closed or damaged across the region. We do know that emotions are high across the region in the wake of what has been a traumatic event, particularly where communities are isolated, and I do want to assure people that Wakakotahi councils and contractors are working around the clock to restore access. Supplementary. What reports has he received about the reinstatement of transport links in the Hawke's Bay? Uh, Mr Speaker, key routes around the Hawke's Bay have started to open again, including the Napier to Hastings Expressway and State Highway 51 between Napier and Clive. I understand that the expressway in particular is very busy and I would encourage motorists to please be patient. As of yesterday, the two key routes that remain closed are Nap uh, State Highway 2, Napier to Wairua and State Highway, Highway 5, Napier to Topor and I'm advised that they are likely to be, uh, remain closed for some time while assessment of the road and bridge conditions continues. A Bailey Bridge is also expected to be installed at the Waikari River north of Napier shortly. Contractors are also working on State Highway 38 from Murupara to Wairua to restore access to the town from the west 
and it is expected to be open to the public in coming days. What reports has he received about the restoration of transport connections in Northland? Uh, Mr Speaker, Northland has also been uh, severely affected by both weather events over recent weeks. I'm advised that State Highway 1 is closed at the Brindewins uh, due to a range of severe slips. However, over the past week, two detours through Waipu and Dargaville for light and heavy vehicles, respectively, have been reopened. Uh, question number eight, Chris Bailey. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My question is to the Minister of Police. Does he stand by his statement that, quote, what I'd say to the gangs, get your bloody patches off, end quote, if so, has he seen reports of how many gang members have taken their patches off? Uh, the Honourable Michael Wood. Mr Speaker, on behalf of the Minister of Police, for the first part of the question, he stands by his full statement on Sunday that, quote, get your bloody patches off, go and get a whole lot of wheelbarrows and shovels and start helping people, as opposed to adding to already super high levels of stress. He also noted that he would uh, go back and be assured that there was a strong police presence to deal with community concerns. Since then, I'm able to confirm to the House that police will have a total of 145 additional staff deployed across the Eastern District, that police report that crime in the area is within a normal range for the Eastern District, however this is obviously amplified for a community that is feeling very vulnerable. To that end, police have had high visibility and a strong reassurance focus in addition to responding to calls from the public. For example, in the 24-hour period to 7am this morning, police conducted 565 prevention activities, including reassurance patrols and proactive engagements with storm-hit communities. Police staff are prioritising taskings to contact those also from the uncontactable list, which I'm sure we all understand is one of the most pressing needs at this time. In answer to the second part of the question, no. Our point of order, Nicole McKee. Sorry, uh, mistake. Um, uh, supplementary, Chris Bailey. What does it say about this government's record on law and order that the police minister has been reduced to begging gang members to be nice? And isn't it time to send in our armed forces to assist police like Napier Mayor Kirsten Wise has been asking for? Uh, Mr Speaker, I reject the uh, premise of the member's question. Um, as I responded in my primary answer on behalf of the Minister of Police, police have been conducting a significant amount of work to provide reassurance and support to the people of storm-hit regions at a time of extreme stress. New Zealand Defence Forces continue to play an important role in the region, but will stand by the police who have the expertise to work with communities and provide that reassurance at a difficult time, will stand by them and not further make the situation difficult uh, by whipping up hysteria. Um, Nicole McKee, supplementary. What does he say to Grant Porter from Napier, who told the media, quote, the gangs are coming in, or looters in general, they're threatening people, stealing their stuff. We are very scared. People are very scared, end quote. And does he believe it's important to believe the victims of crime? Uh, Mr Speaker, I absolutely believe that it is critical to believe the victims of crime, and that is why it is exceptionally important at all times, but particularly in a time of extreme distress for many people, uh, such as now in the storm-hit regions, that we adequately support police 
to be able to get on the, out on the ground to prevent crime and provide reassurance to the communities. In my primary answer, I've outlined the significant amount of police work that police have underway in that area. We'll continue to support police in that operational response, and our government will also continue to support police by building their numbers, which have increased by 1,700 since we came to office. Supplementary. Who is correct? Is it the Napier Mayor and the Hawke's Bay Chamber of Commerce CEO who say they need armed forces, or is it the police commissioner who is gaslighting locals by telling them that they don't know what's going on and that he knows better? Uh, Mr. Uh, Mr Speaker, I believe that the comments of the member in respect of the commissioner's approach to these issues are unhelpful, intemperate and incorrect. The police commissioner has been working closely with Eastern District to ensure that there are sufficient officers on the ground, including 145 additional officers who have been deployed into that community. No one, including the Minister, the Police Commissioner or local police, uh, have done anything to reject or downplay people's concerns about their safety. They have been putting resources in to provide further reassurance. Where crime occurs, police are on the ground to support communities. But as I have also said in the primary answer to this question, police report that levels of crime are within a normal range. No crime is acceptable, and this, this time it is more stressful for communities. So we will continue to work to provide that reassurance. And I would just urge all members of the House uh, to support police in doing that job and not to create a climate of hysteria that will add further to the distress of people in an already difficult situation. Uh, question number nine, the Honourable Opetul William Seal. Mr Speaker, the question is to the Minister for Emergency Management. What assistance has NEMA coordinated to support local responses to Cyclone Gabriel? Mr. Uh, the Honourable Kieran McAnulty. Mr Speaker, under our emergency management system, local leadership of responses is critical to ensuring everything we do is informed by the situation on the ground. In several parts of the North Island, the situation remains incredibly difficult for the communities affected in the wake of Cyclone Gabriel. The National Emergency Management Agency's role is to ensure local responses are getting what they need. Under a state of national emergency, as was declared on the 14th of February and extended on Monday, NEMA has the ability to direct and prioritise nationwide resources. This includes bringing in extra support from the New Zealand Defence Force, police, Fire and Emergency New Zealand and other agencies as required. This has involved the provision of critical supplies, logistics and specialist skills to aid the local response and recovery. As many of us said in the House yesterday, I want to thank all those who are working tirelessly to support the communities who were hit by Cyclone Gabriel. Supplementary. Uh, thank you, Minister. Can I ask what support has been coordinated by NEMA to local mayoral relief funds? Mr Speaker, the National Emergency Management Agency has been advising the government on contributions to mayoral and regional relief funds. These funds are used to provide immediate short-term support in areas affected by emergencies. Once approved, NEMA coordinates the distribution of government contributions to these funds. So far, in response to the cyclone, the government has contributed $3.7 million to mayoral and regional relief funds. These contributions reflect that local communities and councils understand where the immediate needs are and how to best help families, 
community organisations and marae. They play a small but important part of the government's total support package. Mr Speaker, supplementary. Uh, to the Minister, what support has been provided by the National Crisis Management Centre? Mr Speaker, the National Crisis Management Centre, which is housed under the Beehive, has provided leadership of central government agencies and the local civil defence groups working on the ground. Its role is critical in managing the array of priority tasks that are required to support the emergency response. It is staffed by emergency management professionals who link in with representatives of the core agencies who are also represented. I am consistently impressed by the tireless work and dedication of those professionals and how they go about their tasks to protect New Zealanders in the wake of the cyclone. Supplementary, Mr Speaker. Again, can I ask the Minister, can he tell us what other support does NEMA provide to local emergency responses? Mr Speaker, NEMA has surged its staff to impacted regions to support the response to the cyclone as well as the response to the Auckland floods several weeks earlier. They have helped with activities like planning, logistics and getting information out to the public. NEMA is also providing expert capability to support local responses through fly-in emergency management assistance teams. They provide specialist emergency management capabilities to assist and support local incident management teams working in the affected areas. These teams are made up of specialist emergency managements uh, with a mix of uh, attributes, skills and experience to go wherever they are required. In response to Cyclone Gabriel, they have been deployed to Napier, Hastings, Wairoa and Gisborne to help boost those local responses, having been already deployed to Auckland earlier. Uh, question number 10, Erica Stanford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. To the Minister of Education. On what date was she provided with the Term 3 2022 attendance data by the Ministry of Education? And why was the data not released publicly until just yesterday? Mr Speaker. Uh, the Honourable Mr Speaker, to the first part of the question, my office received the final copy of the Term 3 attendance report from the Ministry of Education on the 14th of December. Additional data was then sent to my office on the 20th of December. And to the second part of the question, the Ministry of Education are responsible for the release of the attendance data. Releasing the data right before Christmas when schools had finished for the year would have been cynical. Therefore, the Ministry released the data at the start of the year to help raise awareness of the issue so that parents, students and schools are reminded that we need to continue to have a razor-sharp focus on turning the attendance rates around in 2023. Why is she continuing to say that the release of the Term 3 data is not up to her but the Ministry of Education? When comments from a senior analyst from the Ministry of Education in an email to my office state that the release of the data depends on the Minister's approval. Oh. Mr Speaker, I can categorically tell that member that the Ministry of Education is responsible for the data. I have no say over that. But, Mr Speaker, the Ministry aims to get the data out as quickly as possible, but it is important that the data is both accurate and the contextual information is provided. I'm advised that sometimes this process can be delayed for publication. For example, Mr Speaker, last year Term 3 data for 2021 was released in April 2022. So if we were to follow the members' logic, we are actually early with the Term 3 data this year. 
Mr Speaker, I also remind the member that there is no requirement to release the data. Order, Mr. Speaker. Our point of order, Erica Stanford. I seek leave to table an email received by my office from a Ministry of Education official stating the final uh, attendance data depends on the Minister's approval. Leave is sought for that purpose. Is there any objection? There appears to be none. May be tabled. So, Who is, is the. Sorry, supplementary. supplementary. Thank supplementary. you. Who is the public supposed to believe? The Deputy Secretary at the Ministry of Education, who on the 7th of December, at Select Committee said that the data was expected any day now and would be released before Christmas, or the Minister of Education, who has claimed in recent media interviews that another eight weeks of analysis was required, which happened to perfectly coincide with her policy announcement yesterday. Mr Speaker, arguing about when the data is released is a waste of time. The government is focused on solutions. We have solutions about putting children and young people at the centre of the response to the attendance issues. If the member wants to continue carrying on arguing about when the data is released, carry on, but that won't make the difference. Our policies will. Can the Minister categorically state here in the House today that she played no part in the delay of the release of the information when it was made available to her on the 20th of December? Oh, Mr Speaker, I already have. It is a decision for the Ministry of Education. We'll see. Supplementary. Can she explain how releasing the attendance data before Christmas would have been cynical, as she has stated in the media yesterday and again today, but sitting on the data for another two months and releasing it the same day as her policy announcement is not cynical. Uh, Mr Speaker, absolutely, yes I can. I know that the member has not worked in schools, but schools have finished by the 20th of December. Who will make the big difference to attendance? It's our whānau and it's our schools. Putting it out when they can have the focus on it and not be concerned about the fact when they've had a really tough year around what they're doing the following year, that won't make the difference. I know this from experience. Please listen. Uh, question number 11, Arena Williams. My question is to the Minister of Small Business. How is the government supporting small businesses affected by recent extreme weather events? Uh, the Honourable Jenny Anderson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Well, firstly, Mr Speaker, I'd like to give my condolences to those people in New Zealand who lost loved ones in the recent extreme weather events that New Zealand has gone through. It's just two months into the year and small businesses have faced unprecedented challenges. The government has moved quickly to support those small businesses in two different ways. Auckland small businesses have been provided with a resilience package of $5 million. And just this week, we have announced an additional $50 million package in the wake of Cyclone Gabriel to deliver interim emergency business support to both small businesses and the primary sector. How will these emergency packages support small businesses? Mr Speaker, uh, it is my priority as the Minister for Small Businesses that those areas get the support that they need. They are the hardest hit during this time and it's, it's important that we provide that support. 
The Auckland package provides not only mental health support but also business continuity to those businesses that need it. The $50 million Cyclone Gabriel package will announce this week will assist businesses and workers by, by providing a wide range of supports. Mr Speaker, we are working closely on the ground with local business associations, iwi and local government to ensure this package is focused where the greatest need lies. When will small businesses start to receive this support? Mr Speaker, as quickly as possible. Already we have small businesses who have received funding in Auckland. Uh, funding as part of the Auckland package has been re released and we are working on the ground up to make sure we tailor the response to those and how they need it. What feedback has she had from small businesses who have been affected by these extreme weather events? Mr Speaker, I've visited small businesses who have been directly impacted by the floods in Auckland. Since then, I've been in regular contact with Chambers of Commerce right across those regions that have been impacted by Cyclone Gabriel. The message they gave me, loud and clear in person, is they want a government that will walk alongside of them to recover, rebuild and be resilient. That's exactly what we will continue to provide throughout this recovery. Uh, question number 12, Simeon Brown. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My question is to the Minister of Transport. Does he still expect, quote, early works to commence in 2023, end quote, on Auckland Light Rail? If so, on what date in 2023 will early works commence? Uh, the Honourable Michael Ward. Mr Speaker, yes, tomorrow. Supplementary. Supplementary. Um, order. Supplementaries are heard in silence. On what date will the first metre of light rail track be completed? Uh, Mr Speaker, what we'll be uh, doing this year is moving into the commencement of early works, followed later this year by the confirmation of station location and uh, the uh, moving forward with the, uh, with the consenting process. We expect main works on the Auckland Light Rail project to begin in approximately 2025. Does the Minister think that spending $30 billion on the light rail project in Auckland is a better use of money than fixing the broken roads and bridges in the Hawke's Bay which have been destroyed by Cyclone Gabriel? Uh, Mr Speaker, uh, the member is in the first instance wrong in the figures that he uses in his question. <laughs> Secondly, if the member believes that any Minister of Transport or Government should only proceed with one project or priority in the transport portfolio at time, then that would explain the mess that this Government inherited from an underinvestment in transport in the nine years that that lot we're in control of the portfolio. For the record, our government this week has invested $250 million to support the people of Cyclone Ravage regions by providing that commitment to rebuilding their devastated roading network. For the record, it is this government which has increased investment in the maintenance of our state highway network by 50% after the National Party froze it for eight years. 
for the record, it is this government which is investing $8.7 billion through the New Zealand Upgrade Programme to deliver critical projects across regional New Zealand. And for the record, it is this government which has invested $8 billion to rebuild a broken rail network that that, that party neglected for its nine years in government. We are the party that invests in transport infrastructure now, but also for the future. Is it true that Auckland Light Rail only survived the government's policy review as a concession to him pulling out of the Labour Party leadership race? Uh, Mr Speaker, no. Auckland Light Rail is an important project because this is a government that actually believes in and invests in Auckland and is aware of the growth that it will experience over the next 30 years. It is an important project because it is part of an integrated plan to finally deliver the people of Auckland a linked-up public transport of the kind that they have not had for decades and decades. That's why we are not only investing in Auckland Light Rail, but why in the coming uh, months we'll be opening the next stages of the Northern Corridor on the North Shore. It's why we've built the first stage of the Eastern Busway into Pakaranga and will shortly be putting shovels in the ground for the second stage through to the Botany Electorate. It's why we're underway with the electrification of rail to Pukekohe. It's why that we're protecting the corridor for mass rapid transit between airport and botany. And it's why by the middle of this year we'll have a plan to take forward the alternative Waitamata Harbour Crossing. On this side of the House, we believe in Auckland and we'll actually make the investments that we need for our Queen City. And that concludes oral questions.